0: Hello, I'm Mariette Sneemann. Welcome to Calm, Clear and Helpful, a weekly podcast series on taking really good care of yourself and others. Today's topic is, once you learn to read, you'll be forever free. My guest is developmental specialist, Dr. Melody De Jager from Johannesburg. Welcome, Melody. Good day, Mariette.
1: Thank you for this wonderful opportunity to have a conversation.
0: Yes. Just to inform our listeners, after our conversation, Melody will give us her three best tips on being a lifelong learner. And then it will be fun question time. Melody, today we're talking about the ability to read. When children don't learn to read and become teenagers or adults who can't read with comprehension, it affects not only their lives but society at large. Could you give us your view on our topic, which is a quote from Frederick Douglass? Once you learn to read, you'll be forever free.
1: Mariette, I've had the privilege to travel recently and I was in Egypt and it was the most wonderful experience to, ex- to feel what it feels like when you're illiterate. I couldn't read. I couldn't understand. If I asked questions, they looked at me as though I came from Mars, though I'm from South Africa. And it was such a wonderful experience, humbling experience, to feel what it feels like to be illiterate. To feel what it feels like when you're in a country where they don't use our ABC, never mind that it's a different language. Um, I've been privileged to travel quite a bit and I remember distinctly a previous time when I was in Spain and I was standing at a door about to open and it says Tirar. And I thought, okay, so what does it mean? There were a few people behind me. Does it mean push or does it mean pull? And I thought, well, if I push and it says pull, they're going to think I'm an idiot. (laughs) If I don't do anything, they're going to wonder if I can't read. And I wish they would ask because then I would say, no, I can read. But not in Spanish. You see, so so the moment you can't read, your life in a way shrinks. Because you automatically exclude it, not just from the world of books, the wonder world of books, and especially now in the times that we live, in you you travel through books. You travel through the T V as well. But it's vastly different. And a book challenges the brain way more than any program can ever do that, because when you see and hear, you're more passive. When you see and you hear, because when you read, obviously, they sound, but you create your own pictures, and that, that stimulates the brain, it takes you places, gives you the freedom to interpret the story, to interpret the character, to dress the character, you know? All of those things, so there's freedom, not just the knowledge, There's freedom in movement, but there's freedom for the soul as well. Because you can soar with people in a vast array of languages and through many, many different experiences.
0: You put it so beautifully. You make me grateful that I can read. Now, uh, if we get down to facts, can you tell us about the South African scenario regarding children and reading according to the PILS study?
1: If anybody is in education, they would know the, the PILS have been with us for the last 10 odd years. And the picture that they've that they paint of reading in South Africa, or literacy levels in South Africa is particularly poor. And it's not the poll's report, it's not their fault. It's just they've highlighted what we all suspected but never knew. And now we've got an international benchmark because PIRLS stands for Progressive International Reading Literacy Study. And um, there were 50 countries that, that participated. And South Africa came last and then they repeated five years later, and South Africa was last again, even though they um, gave our children the simplified version of the test. You understand? It's not a pretty picture. So polls, the assessment is happening again in 2021, and who knows what's going to come out of that. But we are at least consistently last. <laughs> I'm I'm not reveling or enjoying the position but I love to be facing facts and that really brought to our attention that we really need to pay attention to this especially if there are 50 countries
0: Mm -hmm. When I listen to you I think there are two things that come to mind the one thing is that many children have already gone through the whole schooling their whole schooling and I'm not sure if there will be a lot of change soon. So, do you think that the most probable way to turn this around is to start with young children?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. But we don't want to we don't want to lose the older children either. So I'll come back to the younger ones. But for the older ones, you must remember they're gonna enter the work market, and the moment they they can't read or write. The options are limited. And if they, if, if they can't be employed, it becomes a, economic, a, a general economical problem. So it's never too late. It's never too late, but it's always best to prevent than to try to remediate. Because the moment you remediate, you're working with somebody that already has an emotional crack. And if I say emotional crack, what I mean by that is they've, they're hurting already. Because the moment you can't read... It's very difficult to learn. And because learning and your self-esteem is so closely intertwined, by the time a child is in high school and they can't read, or they're young adult, or they're an adult and they can't read, that emotional hurt, that I'm less than, it's very difficult to remediate that. Not impossible ever, because the brain is a marvelous piece of equipment, but it's, it's not easy.
0: Mm-hmm. Is it an unfair question if I ask you which possibilities there are available for children who, say, are in high school already and struggle to read?
1: There are increasingly a lot of in-house support in schools. But, Mariette, like anything else, it's where there's money, there is support. So, too often, where the bulk of the learners in South Africa lack the funds, or the schools that they attend lack the funds, um, the disadvantage stays disadvantaged. And for that reason, just to complete the loop in terms of um, intervening earlier, for that reason, our, our drive in the country, at the moment from the Magnus Institute side, is to really get to the young children, pre-grade one. Because if we can instill a love, of, of reading. You must remember, Mariette, in many, many households in South Africa, in many households, paper or a book is, is potential um, equipment to make a fire. It is a potential tablecloth. It is a potential covering over the window. You understand? So many of our children grow up with, without print matter in their environment, it's just absent. So not only do they need to learn to read, they first need to understand. They first need to experience the joy when you read. Obviously, when you're little, when somebody reads to you and you sit close to them. And, and you know, this, reading is not just about the words. It's the sitting close. It's the smell of being together. It's that undivided attention and the privilege of flying through the sky with somebody else. Because the moment you read together, you fly together.
0: Mm. Melody, before we carry on talking about reading, could you explain to us what the Mind Moves Institute does? Because you are now talking about the Mind Moves <laughs> Institute.
1: So the Mind Moves Institute is a, training, a research and training institute entity um, focusing on learning. The ability, irrespective of age. So our main focus is to, to figure out what prevents people from learning. That's a small part of it. Our focus is actually how do you overcome it? Because assessment is one thing, but if you don't act on assessment, it's useless. So our focus is how do you go beyond an inability? And for that reason, we, we um, work with very young children from a very early age, not to teach them to read. But to put everything in place that will automatically, um, um, transfer or or change into an ability or a readiness for reading, you see, Mariette, One of the things that people often don't understand, or, well, well, it's not understanding. I don't think we think about it. Reading is not natural. Really, it's not natural.
0: That's true. It's not like
1: crawling or sitting or eating or drinking or walking or talking, that's natural. Reading is unnatural. It's man-made. And that's partially what makes it so very difficult. And especially in a country like South Africa, where we have 10, 11 official languages. For a moment, I wasn't thinking of my own. Mm. So the 10 other languages, it makes it very difficult for anybody to really be proficient in one language. And if you can't speak a language or understand a language, what are your chances of writing or reading a language? You understand? So was so it, it it's a gift to our country because they showed us that our children at the, at the age when they're in grade four, grade five, they can't read with comprehension. It's actually a small little bit of the problem. The problem is actually... They can't read, but the bigger problem is they can't speak. And because you can't speak, it doesn't mean they've got speech problems, but they can't speak one specific language. Many, many people in our country have a street language. That's also a language, but that's not the language that we learn in schools. That's not the way you are assessed and that enables you to progress in schools. Understand? So the, the challenge is huge. Mm-hmm. The challenge is huge. But it is possible to do something. And it doesn't have to take 20 years.
0: You have now talked about reading as something that's not natural, which, which is new to me, but it makes perfect sense. But I know that, that you are very interested in biomimicry. Yeah. So could you perhaps build a bridge from the Mind Moves Institute which which has biomimicry as as one of its principles, to reading, which is an unnatural quote-unquote
1: activity. <laughs> well, Marek, you don't ask easy questions. <laughs> it's a wonderful question. So biomimicry means we turn to nature for solutions. Okay, so that's just the... A a simple definition of biomimicry. So you see the thing is biomimicry and mirror neurons in human beings go hand-in-hand. So I'm not saying humans are monkeys, I'm just using an expression, monkey see, monkey do. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So if children grow up seeing people read, what do they want to do? They want to read. So they see people write, what do they want to do? They want to write. Okay? Why do babies always favor your keys, your handbag, the remote control, and your cell phone? Because what you touch, they touch. Okay? So, so in terms of biomimicry and reading, we start reading. Well, let's define reading. Is that a, a response on, some, on something that you've seen? Look, typically, reading has something to do with an alphabet. But reading starts as reading people in the environment reading starts at is there a big dog in the area reading starts with what does my mom's or my dad's or my nana's face look like today um is this a good day is this a day where you play far far away (laughs) you know so so reading starts with reading people and reading the environment okay because it's all about communication then it in time It transfers into making scribbles, mark making, they sometimes call it. But where children start drawing what they've seen or what they feel or what they think, it's a very important step because now they're moving from reading real people and the environment. They start reading what they've just drawn. It's an incredibly important step because what what they're doing they're learning to to transfer thoughts and feelings into symbols and then they they read it back but but can you hear it's writing before reading, and we'll come back to that a little bit later so If a child has had the opportunity to read the environment and obviously to have validation that the way they read the environment or people's faces or responses or whatever is accurate, and they then move on to to drawing and reading their, their symbol, picture symbols, to somebody else, which obviously again reinforces and validates. And give them such positive feedback. So they are inquiring the skills that will naturally, it will naturally lead to the ability to be ready to learn to read symbols. But you see, the, the, the thing is, when I've drawn a picture, if a child has drawn a picture, that picture symbol is my symbol. I understand my symbols. As I was in Egypt recently and looking at the hieroglyphics, I mean, it's not my symbols. So I've got the alphabet but it's going to take me forever to learn to read read that because it's not my symbols. But the moment I've made the symbol, I know what it means. Mm. You understand? But now when a child needs to read the alphabet, they need to adapt to somebody else's symbols and that's the difficulty. But you see, if they've if they've read the environment and they've had validation that they're doing that well, and if they've created their own picture symbols and they've read it and there's been positive feedback to that, they, are, they have the guts, they have the courage. And visually and mentally, they prepared for the next step to acquire something that's not natural. So biomimicry, the question was about biomimicry, so they mimic what they see. They mimic reading people, and they want to read. They mimic writing people, and they want to write.
0: Sure, that's quite a mouthful. Now, from a perspective which is a little different, Melody, from a neuroscientific point of view, which issues do you think we have missed in teaching children to read? And when I say we, I mean we in our country. Very good
1: question, Marie. The the thing is neuroscience, let's just define that for the for this conversation. Um, let's use a practical definition. Neuroscience means the role of the physical body in the learning process. Okay? And I think it's not just in terms of reading. I am an educator, a very mature, um, a respectful way of saying a very old educator. <laughs>
0: you
1: not... <laughs> And it took me decades to understand that learning is not an abstract thing that occurs in the brain miraculously, but it actually, without the body, you, you can't learn. I often say you may lose your mind, but you can still live. You may lose your heart on an emotional level. You know, you may be depressed, you may lose heart, but you'll be alive. But the moment you lose your body, you're not alive. And this is a very important thing, especially from a neuroscience perspective, because if we don't realize and if we don't take that into consideration when we teach reading, that all learning occurs through the body, we have to involve the body in the learning process. And it's automatically involved and specifically in terms of the senses, the brain and the muscles. Because you know the brain's a marvelous thing, but it sits in the ultimate isolation chamber. Mm. So th- the brain is in an isolation chamber. It doesn't see, it doesn't smell, it doesn't taste, it doesn't hear, it, sits at, it doesn't move, it doesn't act. It's a marvelous processor, but it's completely and utterly reliant on sensory input and motor output. Sensory input to have something to process, and then motor output, because otherwise it processes beautifully, but there's no output. So the only way that a neuroscientist Daniel Wolpert says we can impact in the world is through action. He says, if we think the brain, we have a brain for thinking, we are more or less halfway there. We actually have a brain to move and to make complex movement. Speech is a complex movement. That's why it takes children the best part of two years, plus nine months in utero, to learn to speak. It takes them close to seven years. It depends on where in the world you are. But in South Africa, it takes our children more or less seven years to start writing and reading. Okay, so those are all complex movements. So from a neuroscience perspective, I think we forgot that we need to pay attention to the, to the um, physical body. And then the, the Russians and their very, very rich culture of space travel, which they happen, the Federation, the Russian Federation, and the polls report twice in a row, they were number one.
0: Uh, we were at the bottom and they were at the
1: top. Oh, not for long. <laughs> they don't know that we, uh, from the southern tip of the world, are going to breathe in their necks one of these days. But because it's in my interaction with a Russian neurologist that I came to understand that, and this is new research, it was only published in 2018, 2019, that gravity is an amazing, is an enormous factor in the entire learning process. But it's more than just the learning process. It's, gravity is important for emotional stability. Gravity is important for cognition, the ability to develop your thinking, of which writing and reading are advanced skills. Okay, now what about gravity? It's the body's interaction with gravity, You see, this is the neuroscience perspective. So, Dr. Oleg Efimov, the head of Russian clinics that we collaborated with in our research in an effective way to address reading in South Africa, um, he made the statement that the vestibular system is where gravity meets cognition in the body. So the vestibular system, my word, what's that, we'll talk about just now. But the vestibular system is the place where gravity meets cognition. Okay, so the vestibular system is in your neck and your ears. So posture is incredibly important in one's ability to develop your thinking. But for that, your feet need to be able to interact with gravity. And you know, in South Africa, when, when I travel and I don't enjoy traveling by plane in South Africa, I drive. So I love seeing this beautiful country. And I'm always amazed at these young children that walk for kilometers to go to school. And one naturally has a tendency to feel sorry for them. And it is far. And they are little. But you know what we don't realize? They're privileged. Because every step that they take is actually working in their favour, because the, the more you walk, there is wonderful research to support that, the better your feet interact with the ground.
0: Is this barefoot or with shoes?
1: Preferably barefoot, but with shoes as well, as long as the soles aren't too, too thick, so, so there must be movement in the foot. The more you do that, the more your brain finds current location. So the moment you, your brain knows where your feet are, your brain has current location. And the moment it has current location, what happens if you, you want to activate your GPS? If it lacks current location, what happens? It goes recalculating, recalculating, and you can't move forward. It's the same with the emotions. It's the same with the brain. And that happens to a lot of children when it comes to learning. So, what happens in South Africa with these wonderful children who walk long distances, the first building block for literacy is in place. But then, for some reason, it doesn't transfer. It doesn't, it has to do with language, exposure to the language of instruction in the classroom. And it also has something to do with um, eye hand coordination and the ability to work at um, elbow distance from the eyes. It's a complete topic for another day. Mm
0: -hmm. Let me just ask you, when you talk about a healthy relationship with gravity as a precondition for learning to read, if a parent is now listening to this conversation, what should they look out for to know whether their child has a healthy relationship with gravity?
1: If nobody taught your child to draw, but your child draws spontaneously, look at your child's drawing. Because the moment your child draws him or herself without a line under their feet, okay, and they do that instinctively, they don't have a good relationship with gravity yet. And if you look at the drawing and your child is five years and a little bit older and they don't spontaneously draw a neck, you have another bit of confirmation that they're not aware of the neck yet. But can't they see it in the mirror? Mm. Yes, they can see it, but it's one of those amazing things about the brain. The brain always believes what it feels rather than what it sees. So if they're not aware of the neck yet, they are not ready to learn to write and read yet because you need a stable head and a still and stable body for the eyes to move independently of head movement in readiness for for reading you see the, the brain is a oh it's a marvelous organ and it it's very economical in its use of energy it hates the brain doesn't like um, spending energy if it doesn't have to So one can say the brain's lazy. No, it's economical in its use of energy. And if you you move your whole body while reading, and lots of children don't read with their eyes, they move their whole head from side to side when they're reading, they're using a tremendous amount of unnecessary energy, focus and concentration, on the physical act of reading. And there's very little energy and focus on concentration left to focus on what they are reading. So then they get the mechanics of reading right, but they still don't know what they are reading. And that's why it's so important that we develop the physical body pre-school. And we develop all the senses extremely well and the muscles. So a child has fundamental control over their physical body when they go to grade one. Because the moment the, the body is under the control of the brain, the child is getting ready to read. You see, if the body does its own thing, (laughs) how can the body do its own thing? Oh, it does that all the time. But for instance, children who can't sit still are moving all the time. Okay, that's not, if you say sit still, if they could, they would. They're not doing that by choice. You know, that movement is actually extremely, extremely clever because they're showing you with their movement that they are recalculating, recalculating. They're looking for current location because, you see, the conversation is actually about the neuroscience and the vestibular system. And the vestibular system needs movement to develop. So you must move, and that's why children need to move a lot. Free movement the way they want to move at times, because they also have to get rid of some of their energy, they've got access. But simultaneously, they also need to learn to do things specifically, like do your buttons, like washing, like brushing your teeth, like getting dressed, like eating, eating with utensils, whatever that may be in your culture. Understand? So there's a difference between moving in any which way, free movement and skilled movement. And the moment the child has done enough of both kinds of movement, the vestibular system says, I've got myself, I've got this body. And now that I've got this body, I've got a current location, and literally now I can drive it, now I can use this body. But if that vestibular system is underdeveloped, the the, the brain can't drive the body because it doesn't know where the body is and it doesn't know where it wants to go and everything is a mess. Yes,
0: I've now heard quite a lot of things that are preconditions for learning. But if we get back to the PILS study, obviously these things have not been addressed as one would have liked them to be addressed at school level. So what can one do? Because if I, I mean, my children are grown up, but if I were the parent of a young child, I would now be rather overwhelmed and wondering what on earth can I do to make sure that my child has ticked all the boxes <laughs> that you've just mentioned. Um,
1: Mariette, I would hate to hear that anybody is overwhelmed now. I Please don't be. Or just listen again. It's not so complicated. Okay? No, I lie. It's very complicated. But, but what you need to take away from this is read your child. And your child's avoidance to do schoolwork is a sure giveaway. That if your child could, he or she would... If your child doesn't want to read, it doesn't mean they they mustn't read, it just means something is preventing them from doing something that will help them to feel part of the other children in the classroom. So the most important thing, if there's avoidance behavior, just know if your child could, your child would. So that's, that's step one. Step two. And um, what I can do is I can write you a little, just give you a very short article that can go with this, just because these physical movements that you can do with your child, excellent, very simple. Wrap the ears, trace their outline, plant their feet, and give them a hug from behind, and teach them to hug themselves, because all of these things are preconditions in terms of the body, the emotions, and the activation of cognition. So I'll we'll add that. But the next thing is we've developed a reading readiness program. So it has taken me 38 years to really understand the problem and to understand it more fully since I could have learned from Pulse. So it helped us to to tailor make a program, a pre-reading, it's not a reading program, there are wonderful reading programs in our country. But why, if are such wonderful programs, don't children learn to read? Because they're not ready for it. So I decided the gap in our country is specifically pre-reading. And I've developed a program in Afrikaans and in English, and there's the possibility of the other nine official languages in our country as well. We, we literally walk a child through a tick box. We develop a skill and then we tick it, and we develop a skill, but but it's very systematic. But it's fun, because every lesson is actually a language lesson. So there's a theme, and we talk about a theme. You can't talk about reading and writing if you if you don't first talk about verbal language before we go to written language. So there's language involved, but there's a lot of vestibular stimulation involved. So there's a lot of movement. But, but it's tied in with a theme. Let me give you a practical example. Yes, please. So, for example, when we get to the G, the ch g- and well, that was the Afrikaans version, the g- and ground, for example, the ch in ground, mooi my taal. So um, the whole lesson is about throwing things up in the air. Throw your beanbags up in the air, but you must throw it so high that it stays up. Because it's in this multi-sensory experiences, and they throw, and they have to duck. It's wonderful vestibular stimulation. But they don't, don't want to stay, and I say, okay, maybe it's just because it's a beanbag. Throw up your shoes. And they th- need to throw up their shoes high in the air, and they really give them at their best. And then they fall down again. And then they say, but where do they go? They always go down to the ground. Oh, the ground. Do you know why everything goes down to the ground? Because in the ground, there's a magnet. And that magnet is called gravity. Can you hear ground, gravity? They both start with a. And that's how we introduce the ear. We introduce the sounds of a language. So they they first need to hear it and say it. Alfred de is a French ear nose and throat specialist, is renowned for saying the mouth can only say what the ear can hear. So we have to train the ear to train the mouth before we can get to the hand.
0: You see, that's interesting.
1: Mariette, what is what is really amazing is the moment children can really understand a language. And the moment the children then, they've heard, they've experienced that sound, they've heard it, they've said it a couple of times, and you then show them how to write it exactly, but in terms of your own body. There's nobody, nothing more important to a young child than their own body. And if they can learn that every letter of the alphabet starts on me, so we, we teach them a mantra, we say, I'm important, not I, I'm Melody, I, the learner, I'm important, every letter in the And the alphabet starts on me. You see, now symbols, the letter symbols, aren't something out there anymore. I embrace them because they they become part of me. We literally teach them to write the letters of the alphabet in front of their body, but starting on their body every, every single time. So it's a physical thing. It's physical. We teach them all the letters that are shaped to the left first. Oh, because now not only does the child have current location, now letters also have current location. And it's a map. The body becomes a map for the letters of the alphabet. You understand? So all the letters that are shaped to the left are done first. Then all the letters that are shaped on the body, like the L and the I, second. And then all the letters shaped to the right are done last. Can you hear this vast distance between the D in dog or dam and the B in boss and beautiful? And then they don't confuse them. Then they don't confuse them when they write them. And they definitely don't confuse them when they read them. Because there was a hole in our program. There's such an experience around every letter. And you need to know something else as well, or need to remember. The brain wires, the brain remembers things. Due to one or two reasons. The one is repetition. Two plus two is four. Two plus two is four. Just do it enough times and you'll remember. Okay. But that's that's boring. That's very boring. Mm -hmm. But that's like walking through tall grass. Eventually you will create a path. Okay. And that's how the brain works. That's where neuroscience comes in. It's literally walking through tall grass to create pathways. Because pathways... Bring light in the brain and light in the eyes. Let's talk for another day. So, so the brain learns either through repetition or a highly intense experience. How many times do you touch a boiling hot kettle? Mm, just once. <laughs> Intensity was high enough. So in our approach, we create such fun experiences around the shape and the look and the sound of a letter. They don't forget it. For evermore, the goo goes down to my – because when you shape it, it also goes down to the ground. It does, yeah. Yeah, and the boot and bus, for example, what's the role of a bus? It's a conversation when we introduce that letter, for example, and then you say, oh, well, they tell us, what did your mom and dad say about their bus? And, well, it's very interesting mm. that comes out there sometimes. That's a
0: sneaky <laughs> question.
1: But but it's very clear to the children that the boss is there to check that you do your work. Okay? And then I say, Why, how do you think they walk? Do you think they walking with their nose on the ground? Or do you think they walk tall because they need to see and watch everybody? No, they definitely walk tall. And then we physically walk around walking tall. Because when we start writing the B in boss and mm. beautiful, we have to start on the head. On me. Why? Because I'm very important. All the letters in the whole wide world starts on me. I am sorry that I am taking up so much time sharing a passion and in terms of the new approach, because it's brand new. It's, some people call it revolutionary. I just think it's fun. I just think it's fun and it's literally a lock and key situation. The program fits the, bra- the way the brain naturally learns from a neuroscience perspective.
0: I think I want to go back and learn. I
1: <laughs> <laughs> can't tell you how much fun I had while I was developing the program. I often wondered if anybody was watching me through the window while I was, because I literally did all the actions to make sure that it, it was fitting.
0: You know, when you talked about reading at the beginning of the conversation, and you said we, we use our body to read, then I realized I usually think of the eyes when you say we read. And I think of reading as a cognitive, a cognitive behavior. But you have shown me now that the brain always needs the body.
1: It does. Moreet, it's actually something that we... And I'm very glad, grateful that you've just built this bridge to something that we haven't discussed, and it will be brief. But what we also don't think about is that that writing and reading is predominantly sound. It has a visual component. But writing and reading is literally sound. Writing is putting sound on screen or paper. Reading is listening to what has been written on screen or paper. Okay, Because if reading was predominantly visual... People with low vision or no vision could never read. So their input is just different. So they they read through touch. Their their hands are their eyes. But that's not a problem because reading is predominantly about sound. Mm. And that's why our children need to learn to listen. Because if they don't learn to listen, it's incredibly difficult to learn to read. If they just watch... And they don't listen. Oh, there's such marvellous programmes on the TV. There's such marvellous activities um, and games that children can play. But it's visually so stimulating that they don't have to pay attention to listening. And that's the other thing that parents can do. Teach their children to listen the first time. Not get in the bath, get in the bath, get in the bath, get in the bath. In the bath! Mm. That's listening the fourth time. They need to know that when we listen, we need to listen the first time. Otherwise, they lack a fundamental skill that's necessary for writing and reading.
0: Well, I'm now thinking that it won't help if you are angry with them to make them listen the first time. <laughs> Maybe you should start listening to them the first
1: time. Ah, Marie. You see, writing and reading is a conversation. It's a conversation between the author and the reader, okay? But it starts off as a conversation between two real people. And what we expect of others, Mara Neurons, if we model that, if our child sees us listen to them, maybe they would also listen more to us.
0: Mm. Thank you, Melody. Where can people get more information on the Mind Moves Reading Readiness Program. It's online. If you Google
1: e-learning at mindmoves.co.za, you'll find the reading program.
0: Right. I'll also attach that link to the podcast. Thank you. And then we'll attach the article you're talking about to the podcast. And if you can't find it, if you go to my website, mariettsneman.co.za, and put reading into the search bar. Then you will find an article which contains this podcast, and you will also find a link to the article. And now, Melody, your three best tips on being a lifelong learner.
1: Mariette, it's simple. Be open, be curious, and be courageous. Aren't you going to talk to us about it? <laughs> You need to be open, because if you... If you're not open, how can you receive anything new? You need to be curious. So it's okay to be open, that's passive. You need to be curious, which is active. You're searching. And then you need to be courageous, because not everything that's marvelous is easy. So one needs to persist, and one needs to continue to learn. Because there's one of these silly little things, especially in terms of growing older or, as I call it, gaining more maturity, (laughs) we think the brain will wear out. So we, we want to be very economical in the use of our brain. We don't want to challenge it. But it's actually the other way around. There is no research that backs the notion that Using the brain will wear it out. As a matter of fact, using the brain um, energizes the brain. It makes it more youthful. It's a wonderful way of um, aging youthfully. And just as as a to the side, it's marvelous when grannies and grandpas become involved in reading to their grandchildren.
0: Excellent. And now it's time for your fun question.
1: Okay.
0: You're going to get marks, remember? Okay. Yeah, I was thinking about what you said earlier, that that marks on paper aren't the only things we read. We read, like you mentioned, we read people's faces. And I know we read body language, we, we read the flow of the traffic or we read the flow of a river. And as you said, we actually read sounds. So, my question is, can you tell us which language you find exceptionally beautiful?
1: Afrikaans, without a shadow of a doubt. But you know, <laughs> mother tongue tends to be one's favourite language, because in utero the ear is adjusting to the language of your mother. The ear works very much like a radio station, okay, so it's catching waves, sound waves, and the baby in utero starts catching the sound waves from your mother's tongue. So um, I think Afrikaans, ah, I love the and the and the, the, it's a very expressive language, but actually any language that connects people.
0: Well said. Thank you so much for your time and your enthusiasm. And I'm going to think about this.
1: Thank you, Marit.
0: And to our listeners, thank you for listening. If you found this episode valuable, please share it with someone you care about. I'd really appreciate it if you would rate and review Calm, Clear and Helpful, where you download your podcasts. Calm, Clear and Helpful is compiled, hosted and edited by me, Mariette Sneemann, and the music is by Mart marie Sneemann. Yes, we are related. Catch you next Tuesday at 9.00.